Chapter four of Pope Adrian the Fourth An Historical Sketch by Richard Raby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four. In the meantime, much had still to be negotiated between Frederick and Adrian before the latter felt satisfied to confer on the former the imperial crown. Adrian was too well acquainted with the character of Barbarossa not to feel it a paramount duty to require every guarantee before adding to the power and greatness of a man who, like him, thirsted for universal sway, under which not only the state but the church also should bend, and who, in pursuit of his object, allowed no barrier, which he could throw down by fair means or by foul, to stand against him thus it was that although in his present transactions with the pope he made plenty of fair promises he yet would not pledge his word to them lest by doing so he should commit his plans of future ambition plans which though he felt he should not hesitate to save if driven to it at the cost of his honour he yet would prefer to forward if possible without so mortifying an alternative but when after all his pains he found out that the pope was not to be drawn off his guard and that the transcendent stake at issue was not to be won except by confirming his word with an oath he submitted to take it and so swore on the gospels and on the cross before his own and the papal ambassadors in his camp near viterbo that he would neither injure the pope nor his cardinals but would protect their persons and rights against all aggression hereupon adrian felt confidence enough to leave nepe and repair to meet frederick at sutri to which spot the latter had in the meantime advanced his camp as adrian drew near he was encountered by a splendid deputation of german princes and bishops who conducted him to the royal tent as soon as the pope appeared before it frederick who was waiting to receive him courteously advanced to assist his holiness in dismounting from his horse but did not offer to render the ancient homage usual on such an occasion of holding the pope's stirrup in vain did adrian keep his seat in expectation that this homage would be paid the king persisted in avoiding what his pride could not brook terrified at such a bad omen the cardinals of the papal suite took to flight and sought safety in the neighbouring fortress of castellano leaving their lord to confront alone the danger which seemed to threaten him but adrian retained his courage and coolness intact alighting from his horse he quietly sat down in the episcopal chair which had been prepared for him and suffered frederick to approach and kiss his feet but when the king rose up to receive the papal kiss of peace in return adrian refused it and told him that he would not give it until the homage due from the temporal to the spiritual power had been paid in full as frederick denied in vindication of his behaviour the authenticity of the homage in question a hot controversy ensued between the parties at issue in which the king turned a deaf ear to every argument and example that was adduced to prove his error seeking to evade their force now by sophistical now by threatening representations until the pope disgusted at his disingenuous conduct and tired out with a dispute which had lasted over the next day to no purpose cut it short by abruptly quitting the camp 
hereupon the king perceiving that he must again offer sacrifice to his policy suffered the prelates who surrounded him until this critical moment had so vainly sought to convince him of the justice of the pope's cause to overrule him and then set out for nepe whither adrian had returned on his arrival he no sooner beheld adrian coming forth to meet him than advancing reverently on foot he held the pontiff's stirrup who on touching the ground directly enfolded the king in his arms amid the cheers of the spectators of both parties all these proceedings and the latter one in particular have been held up by many writers as setting in the strongest light the arrogance and tyranny of the church in the middle ages from our point of view at this day for estimating the relative importance of church and state no doubt the result of the dispute between adrian and frederick was wrong because it ought to have proved diametrically the reverse to be right in the twelfth century however the profound conviction of christendom was this that the pope literally represented on earth in the character of vicar or vice-regent our saviour in heaven and as it may be taken for granted that were the redeemer to reappear among men now as he appeared eighteen hundred years ago the proudest monarch of christendom in the nineteenth century persuaded of the fact would whether catholic or protestant certainly not hesitate to show this honour to our divine lord on receiving his visit so the sovereigns of the middle ages did actually deem it right and honourable to pay that homage to christ in the person of the pope in whom they acknowledged from the bottom of their souls our lord's regent on earth and as such their immeasurable superior in requiring frederick barbarossa to pay him the typical homage of holding his stirrup adrian did plainly nothing but what was entirely in accordance with the spirit of the age and at the same time with traditional usage as then received by christian princes but frederick did do what was contrary to both in his refusal and that too while professing to be imbued with the very faith out of which the homage in question sprang thus it is no wonder that adrian should view such an inconsistency as most inauspicious for the liberties of the church with which those of society were then so closely bound up and should therefore feel it imperative to pursue a line of conduct which at first glance may appear so arrogantly exacting but which found on closer examination to have involved the assertion of the most sacred interests against a man who was known to respect none in promotion of his ends assumes a character calculated rather to conciliate our approval than to confirm our censure as soon as the friendly relations between the pope and the king had been thus restored they set out for rome to celebrate the coronation in the meantime the senate though deeply offended at not having been consulted on so momentous an affair sent forward an embassy to congratulate frederick as he drew near thus it did in fulsome and arrogant terms informing him moreover that the queen of the world as the city was styled by the orator felt graciously disposed to confer on him of her own good pleasure the diadem of empire if he on his part would promise to abolish the papal government restore the ancient republic and make a present of five thousand silver crowns to the officers of the state but frederick no sooner perceived this drift of the speech 
whose tone from the beginning had greatly irritated him than he cut it short by an outburst of indignant sarcasm on men who sunk to the lowest pitch of national degeneracy yet thought to beard with the shadow of their past the substance of his present greatness and to dictate terms to a prince who came not as their servant but as their master after having delivered himself further in the same caustic style he asked them what answer they had to give and on being informed that they could give none till they had reported their reception to the senate he haughtily bid them be gone and do so aware that such conduct would highly incense the romans and very likely urge them to revenge it by throwing obstacles in the way of his coronation frederick consulted the pope as to what had best be done who advised him to send without delay a body of picked troops to occupy st peter's and the leontine quarter of the city in which that church stood promising that the papal guards on the spot would support the movement frederick accordingly dispatched during the night a thousand men on this service which they successfully performed the next morning june eighteenth eleven fifty five by sunrise he himself set out preceded by the pope for the city and passed into it by the golden gate before which his whole army in compact and resplendent array drew up at st peter's he was received by the pope who surrounded by his cardinals and prelates awaited the king's arrival on the steps of the great door the pontifical high mass was then sung and on its termination frederick enthroned amidst the princes and dignitaries of the empire was solemnly crowned emperor by the hands of the pope the whole congregation bursting out at so stirring and eventful a spectacle into acclamations of joy and triumph in the meantime a squadron of imperial troops took possession of the bridge near the castle of crescentius now st angelo over which the road into the heart of the town led and by so doing shut out the ill-disposed citizens on the right bank of the tiber from interrupting the ceremony when all was over at st peter's frederick issued out of the church with the crown on his head and mounting his horse while his suite continued on foot rode back through the golden gate to celebrate in his tent erected against the city halls the coronation banquet as to pope adrian he retired to his palace near st peter's so far everything had turned out well but a new scene was now to be acted for as the emperor and his soldiers divested of their armor on account of the great heat were carousing under the cool shade of their tents in honor of the day their toasts and songs were suddenly interrupted by the alarm that the romans had risen and were advancing over the tiber to attack the camp the truth was that the senate and citizens exasperated beyond measure at frederick's treatment of their ambassadors and at his superior generalship in occupying the city and effecting his coronation in their teeth had met at the capital while he was at st peter's and passed the resolution not to let so mortifying a day pass over without striking a blow in revenge wherefore as soon as the coronation was finished and the scene clear the furious populace burst over the tiber and after first butchering what few german soldiers still lingered imprudently at st peter's rushed on to the grand attack 
frederick no sooner heard this unwelcome news than he started from table gave the word to arm and sallied out to encounter the enemy the battle that ensued was maintained on both sides with unflinching courage and varied fortunes now the romans drove the germans beyond their lines now the germans pursued the romans into the heart of the city such was the hatred which each party felt against the other that not only the men but the women joined in the struggle when it had thus lasted till sunset victory declared for the germans the romans fled on all sides with a loss of more than a thousand killed or drowned and two hundred captured the emperor as otto of friesingen asserts had the extraordinary good fortune to lose in such an obstinate and bitter combat only two men one killed and one made prisoner such cried frederick as he beheld the defeat of the enemy and recollected the terms of the senate the day before such o rome is the price which thy prince pays for thy crown such the way in which we germans buy our empire on the morrow he turned over his prisoners to peter the prefect of rome who executed some as notorious ringleaders on the spot and allowed others to ransom themselves at exorbitant rates indeed that stern functionary would have put the whole of them to death had not adrian in whose breast this unfortunate outbreak had produced the liveliest regret interfered in their behalf so that it was reluctantly resolved to set them free notwithstanding his victory as no market for provisions could be opened for his army by reason of the animosity of the roman peasantry frederick was obliged to raise his camp and seek a more friendly and fruitful neighbourhood where the soldiers might enjoy repose after so trying a campaign the spot he removed to was near tivoli here he halted for several days and received a visit in his quarters from pope adrian who kept with the emperor the feast of saints peter and paul both sovereigns appeared at high mass on this occasion wearing their insignia of state after the service adrian solemnly absolved the emperor's troops from all guilt which the slaughter they had made of the romans in the late conflict might appear to lay them under the maxim adopted being that he who fights out of obedience to his prince against the enemy of the state must not be deemed a murderer but an avenger and yet frederick did not hesitate to seize an opportunity which now offered of breaking his oaths and of repaying the pope's good offices by invading his rights for on the citizens of tivoli offering him at his secret instigation the sovereignty of their city which belonged to the holy see he accepted it and only on adrian's determined opposition to such an usurpation affected to restore it with reservation of his imperial prerogatives over the place prerogatives which he could not define and which meant in fact nothing more than the renewal of his aggression at the next more favourable opportunity for now the complaints of his army worn out by fatigue exposed moreover to every vexation through the ever-increasing animosity of the italians and hence doubly impatient to return into germany from which it had been absent much longer than the terms of feudal service required obliged frederick to think of finishing his campaign and marching home directly if he did not mean to be left alone in the heart of a hostile country 
a predicament into which the desertion of his men was already beginning to betray him he accordingly took the road back into germany soon after he had made restitution to the pope as above described and after running many perils in his progress through regions so justly hostile to him regained his own states beyond the alps not so much gratified by the acquisition of the imperial crown as embittered by what he had gone through in pursuit of it and resolved not to delay longer than he could help a second invasion of italy which should compensate the mishaps and mortifications of the first End of chapter four